Welcome to the Let's Think About That podcast, where we don't just react. We'll break it down and think about it. We're going to talk news, the law, sports, whatever we're thinking about. We're your host, Ed Yeager and Lee Allen. Lee, how are you, my friend? I'm doing well tonight, Ed. How you are? I am well. Has been another interesting week, hasn't it? It sure has. You know, we've talked several times about the uh, Biden border crisis and watched this mounting calamity on the southern border. Not only has uh, it been the welcome mat seemingly rolled out to all of Central and South America, but people from all over the world are showing up now, up there now. And uh, more recently, there were thousands of people beneath a bridge in Del Rio, Texas. Well, I understand that they have started to uh, move some of those out. But at the same time, the White House recently had to answer a question as to why they weren't holding them to the same COVID vaccination standards. And this is what was said at the White House press room. If somebody walks into the country right across the river, does somebody ask them to see their vaccination card? Well, let me explain to you again. If they have symptoms, they are the intention is for them to be quarantined. That is our process. They're not intending to stay here for a lengthy period of time. I don't think it's but the same here. thing. Yeah. I find it unbelievable that the press secretary says they don't intend to stay. Yeah, that that that's beyond the pale. And uh, I, I, I'm sure that Jen Psaki has her her faults, just like all of us do. I don't think one of them is stupidity. And to be sure, Jen Psaki knows that's not the, that's not true. And I guess she just thinks that the mainstream media and the American um, voters, to the extent they're paying attention, will just uh, just accept that. But it is it just if 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 it wasn't so serious, it would be funny. Uh, that she would that she would look the camera in the eye and say that. You know, and anyone who talks a lot for a living, they're going to say some things they regret saying yeah. or in a way they regret saying it. At the same time, I don't get this, except that I know she was trying to dodge the question about COVID vaccinations. Mm -hmm. And this White House recently has tried to essentially mandate COVID vaccinations for millions of Americans. So she was trying to draw some distinction between that and, and people she knows they can't control. Yeah, it, um, it, I don't see any way to explain it, uh, to walk it back or to uh, make it go away beyond just saying I screwed up. I shouldn't have said it. I didn't. You know, it's not true. I didn't mean to say it. It's not what I was thinking. I just screwed up. Um, I, I heard tonight the same reporter that asked her that question asked her today. Uh, when the president intended to go to the border and also said, can you tell us when he, he has, when the last time he went to the southern border was because we can't find any evidence that he went as, I mean, clearly he hasn't been since he took office as president, but we can't find evidence that he went as the vice president, that he went as a senator, or that he went as a private citizen. And uh, please tell us when he's been there. And as of the broadcast, about 6.15 or so tonight, 6.20, uh, there had been no, she said she would check and get back, but there had been no response. Of course, he's got his intrepid vice president he could send there. Yeah. And, and she claimed to go, but she really didn't go to the border. She, she was some miles away. And, uh, of course, after yesterday's ridiculous story that has legs still uh, that with regard to the uh, mounted uh, border Patrol agents using reins. Uh, well, it was the original story was they were whipping migrants, and then it became they were using the reins to whip migrants. And of course, the photographs 
don't show any anybody striking anyone with a rain. They show these uh, border patrol agents grabbing with their hand with his hand uh, a minor, I mean a, a migrant, and then some others sort of maneuvering their horses near migrants. But you know, the Democrat talking points and the mainstream media talking points are that they were using the the double range or the split range as as whips to hurt uh, or control the migrants is. So far, there's no evidence of that from any objective standpoint. But the mainstream media, to include Jin, uh, Jin Saki as a, the president's spokesperson, said today that he was horrified by what he saw. And if if that horrifies him, God help him. Because to it me, happen. it just seems like entirely fake outrage. Exactly. Because they have ignored this story for months. It's been a a, a growing humanitarian crisis. It's as bad now as it has been. It's getting worse every day, every hour. And you use the right word. It's a calamity. I mean, it is it is terrible. Um, today, uh, you know, yesterday, the uh, secretary of the Department of Homeland Security testified before a, a congressional committee, and, and he was heard to say that, in his opinion, the border was closed. Well, the numbers show that that's not true. Um, and uh, he got a little testy when he was asked about numbers of people crossing and said that uh, that he because he was back testifying today that um, he didn't have those numbers handy. And when pressed uh, as to why, he said that he worked 18 hours a day and that yesterday after he finished testifying, he still uh, worked his, a full day because he's working hard. But uh, whatever he's doing is not right, and maybe he needs to work more effectively or more efficiently, or as they say, work smarter because it's a it's a it's awful. Well, let's just talk about those numbers for a second. I, I didn't mean to interrupt you there, but that's right. You know, we mentioned before that we were waiting on the CBP uh, numbers for August. Those finally came out about a week ago. They noted that in August there were two hundred and eight thousand eight hundred and eighty-seven encounters along the southwest border. That's a 2% drop compared to July. They they put that in their press release. They did not put in the press release, though, that it's a 307% increase over 2020, the same time period. One thing they also noted that out of those encounters, 25% involved individuals who had at least one prior encounter in the previous 12 months compared to an average of 14% for fiscal years 14 to 19. So, you know, what that says is that people that are encountering encountering Border Patrol and aren't making their way into the country, they're trying again. That's because right. Because they're they've been encouraged that it will work. Well, Harris Faulkner, and I don't normally agree with Harris Faulkner, despite her time here in Greenville as a as the local news anchor. Um I don't normally agree with a lot of what she says, but she made the point yesterday on her noon show uh, on Fox News that yeah. The secretary of DHS and Kamala Harris have come out and said, don't come recently. The problem is social media is full of other people from, you know, private citizens that know folks who are uh, wanting to come here to media outlets and who are sending the complete opposite message uh, that, that, that you should come. So it's almost like, and this is me talking, not Harris. You know, wink and a nod, don't come. The message needs to be changed and changed quickly. And and one of the things uh, that was in the official message uh, as recently as yesterday was we're sending the Haitian folks home. We're deporting them. And you saw there was a uh, kind of a 
a revolt, that might be too strong a word, uh, on the tarmac in Port-au-Prince with one of the planes that landed yesterday. And then there was some some issue with a DHS contractor or bus where they commandeered the bus and the contractors ran away and um, so forth. But it turns out that they're not sending everybody back. They are releasing some uh, within the United States. They're sending some to certain places within the United States, but they're they're back to the old... Um, give them a notice to appear at a DHS office or ICE office um, or give them a court date and, and let them go. And off they go into our country. And, and most of, of those folks, and, and I mean, I, that's what I would do is, is you, they're not going to show up. Yeah. You've got to come find them and catch them. The administration was misrepresenting yet again uh, what its policy uh, truly is. And only when confronted with hard evidence uh, do they admit the reality of the situation? And, you know, we saw that in Afghanistan with the Afghanistan debacle, and we've seen it now here on the border several times. Uh, we've seen it with inflation. Uh, it's just it's one thing after another, and uh, we've got a failed president. We truly do, and, and uh, I, I don't see it getting any better. And, and on the message issue, which you just raised a moment ago, yeah, the v- vice president, the secretary of Homeland Security may send a message that the border is closed, but actions sometimes speak louder than words. And when people are able to get into the country, when they're not sent back, that is a different message they're getting, which encourages people to come. It does. Now, Optics the, are everything. The solution would be, you know, something that would actually, you know, some type of structure along the border that would prevent people from coming in unless they were allowed at a checkpoint to come through, you know, something like a fence or a wall or something. But, you know, we don't have that. Um, and so we have a permeable border. And that, that the, the border there in Del Rio, as you know, the, there's the Rio Grande River and there's a, a dam just under the surface of the water there, and you literally, it's ankle deep, at least right now, and you they're walking across it. I mean, I saw just this afternoon thousands of people uh, on our bank, uh, our side of the bank, uh, the bank on our side of the river, I'm trying to say, who had just walked across, several hundred who were actually walking across, and then hundreds more who were coming down the, the bank on the Mexican side of the river who were waiting to cross. And, of course, uh, I did see uh, earlier today on Twitter a, uh, a map uh, with uh, of the sort of the Caribbean basin, and it showed Haiti, and then it showed Del Rio, Texas, uh, and it's about 2,000 miles, and no one has yet, to my knowledge, other than what we talked about last week on this show, how did these people from one of the poorest countries on Earth, subject to horrible... Uh, man-made disasters and natural disasters over a, years and decades, how did they afford to get from Haiti to Mexico so that they could walk across the border? And there was some interesting reporting on that in the Washington Post that a number of these Haitians, at least according to the Post, actually left Haiti sometime after the big earthquake in 2010 or so. Mm-hmm. And they've been living in Central America, South America. And, you know, I don't know how they got there at that point. And things weren't much better on the economic front. But this has encouraged them to move from Central and South America to come up through Mexico and try right. to get into the U.S. And, and, and so that actually some of the flights that threw them, flew them back to Haiti 
They weren't actually some of them hadn't been in Haiti in years. Ah, I, I'm sure that the, the the countries they were in, they probably encouraged them to leave just because of the, uh, the 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 drain on resources that you have when you have folks who uh, are refugees or want to claim to be refugees on on a, on a country's resources. Uh, it's amazing, and and I heard there's a rumor. I don't know if it's more than that, but there's a rumor that there's another big group of refugees that are going to be approaching our border in the next few days to few weeks. And well, knows? I've heard that there are two groups out there, and I've seen this in a couple of different places. One group that's somewhere in Central America, and another group that's huge that's still in Colombia and is organizing for the trip. It's amazing. It's a horrible situation. Yeah. And the so what of this story, I think, is that there are a number of Democrats in Washington that want to find a pathway to citizenship for these folks because they think they will become registered voters and they'll vote Democrat. They're trying to change the demographics of America. And and to change it for that reason and that reason only. Yeah. And that political power votes. And, and of course, we need to also talk about these people, these poor people who are living in utter squalor under this bridge in Texas and they have the numbers have overwhelmed our ability to provide for them while decisions are made about what to do i saw yesterday i think it was a story uh, and i don't remember where i saw it but the, the the border patrol agents were giving these folks their own food and their own water um, to help them, and some of some of these uh, migrants are are able to walk back across that dam into Mexico and buy food. And in fact, in the picture is, uh, yesterday of the supposed use of the the, the reins as whips, they're carrying uh, plastic bags with styrofoam food containers in those bags. Apparently, they had gone across to get food and were coming back. It's it's a it's a as you said a humanitarian disaster. And it's not going to get better before it gets worse. This is the swimming pool I talked about some weeks ago. In the law, it's a doctor known as attractive nuisance. I said, why don't you explain that again to, in case somebody maybe missed the prior, because that, that was excellent. Attractive nuisance is the idea in tort law, which is, is basically personal injury law, that someone who owns property can be held liable for injuries that occur on their property when they have, have some condition which they know will bring people on and which creates a hazard and they have not properly secured that hazard from injury. And the swimming pool analogy is just an example of that. If you have a pool on your property, you can imagine quite easily kids in the neighborhood want to come play in the pool and it's dangerous. And if, and if someone gets hurt because you have not put a fence up and a gate and a lock or whatever is required to secure that pool from unintended swimmers, you can be held liable for that. That's why in most places, if you build a pool, you're required to have a uh, fence around it. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. And so when when a presidential candidate says, oh, we're going to reverse that last guy's policies, we're going to make it easy for everyone to come here. He's created the situation where they come, they don't have food, they don't have water. There aren't sanitary conditions for them because it's overwhelming the system. That's exactly right. So the the crisis continues. We'll just have to see if this uh, White House can do anything to get it under control. If they even have a plan to get it under control, because apparently they don't. 
I mean, the, I guess the plan was to have Kamala go down there and figure that out back in, in the spring. But, you know, as, as we said, she, she went to Texas, but she didn't go all the way to the border. And since then, until just the last 24, 48 hours, she's been mute. Um, and she had some, you know, ridiculous statement yesterday about the alleged whipping. But other than that, she's, she's not done anything. You know, Lee, the other story that came out about a week ago, and quite frankly, I read about it, but didn't really grab my attention as much as it has uh, subsequently, is the indictment by John Durham, the special counsel who was appointed at the latter part of the Trump administration to look into the whole Russia hoax, indicted an individual named Sussman, Michael Sussman, in the cases in the uh, district court for the District of Columbia. And indicted him for making a false official statement to an executive branch official, which is is legalese for saying you can't provide false information when you're questioned or when you approach someone in this case. But, you know, what grabs me about this story is how deep this hoax started within the Clinton campaign. What happened is that Michael Sussman was a lawyer for a law firm. It's not named in the indictment although it seems fairly clear from the context who he worked for, but he was a, a, a lawyer for the Clinton campaign. He worked with uh, some tech companies, some university researchers. They start trying to pull together all of this information that would demonstrate that there were secret connections between the Trump organization and the government of Russia. And then he went to the general counsel for the FBI did not say he was working for the Clinton campaign, said he was just a good citizen and repeated this information to the government. Now, the problem is it was flawed information that those connections didn't exist. So that was pretty shady in the first place. But he was a representative of the Clinton campaign. And then what happened when Trump won, almost immediately they started trumpeting this story that it was all a Russian conspiracy or collusion between the Trump campaign and Russia. And this went on for months, if not years, of the Trump campaign. Tore this country apart in many ways. Still not, we've still not repaired the, um, the breach that it caused. The amount of time and money and careers that were ruined pursuing what the Democrat machine knew to be false is tremendous. Um, and Hillary Clinton knew it was false. Um, and, and, and Joe Biden knew it was false because they were briefed. Well, Biden and Obama were briefed by, by uh, the national security, uh, members of the national security apparatus of our government. And, the, and Hillary Clinton knew it was false because her campaign made it up all from this lawyer, uh, Sussman, who was billing the Clinton campaign hundreds of thousands of dollars over the course of his uh, time representing that campaign. It's just amazing that it was taken at face value and blown sky high and and all but you know ruined um, the Trump presidency. It's hard to it's hard to imagine that, that that could happen in America. If you didn't have that taint about Russia, Russia, Russia from the beginning, do you think you have that first impeachment regarding Ukraine? I do not. I think that is. Uh, I think once they, uh, they being the Democrat machine uh, within the Senate and the House, uh, and then the establishment within the FBI and the CIA and so forth, once they realized that the gig was up with regard to Russia, they went looking for something else and they trumped up this Ukraine. 
uh, phone call in, in large part because Ukraine is a former Soviet Republic and it smacks of Russia and Eastern European countries, you know, and maybe the American people don't necessarily discern the difference. And I think that's exactly what they did. People think that Dick Nixon, Richard Nixon was the master of dirty tricks and so forth. And while I'm sure he was for his time, the master, what Sussman and the Democrats did to Trump in 2016, although unsuccessful, was up there on that level. You know, he was, Sussman, as I understand it, was indicted like maybe Thursday or Friday of last week. That's right. And the statute of limitations was going to run on Sunday. Um, so the question is, um, you know, it, it, are there others to be indicted for other things? Um, is Are they trying to get Sussman to... Uh, to turn uh, to flip and turn states evidence and and so we'll need to keep our eye on that to see how it goes but that law firm um, has I, I think uh, split the guy who's the big Democrat lawyer that sues uh, he sued the North Carolina General Assembly over uh, districting and he, he's done right much litigation on behalf of the defendants with regard to quote voting rights um, he left that firm just recently, and I think in large part fallout over the Sussman thing, Mark Elias, he's got, uh, he formed 915, a new law firm headquartered in Washington, D.C., with an office in Seattle focused on helping Democrats win, citizens vote, and progressives make change, and it's called the Elias Law Group. I think this was as dirty a trick as any uh, because it continued past the election. It ruined, uh, probably you could say it ruined some some lives in addition to careers, and, and it was totally false. And, and this is different, to my mind anyway, from a traditional, what you think of as a dirty trick. You know, the, the Nixon campaigns uh, turning the air conditions off in the uh, convention uh, hall for the Democrat convention in 72 in Miami in, in uh, June or July. You know, so that, that somebody they would have to go turn them back on, and in the meantime, everyone would be, you know, sweating profusely. That that that's and, and then you know the the famous um, Roger Stone actually did it, dirty trick in the New Hampshire primary um, in '72. Liberal Republican is running against Nixon in the primary in New Hampshire, and they send Roger Stone, who was college age at the time, with a jar. At the time, you could take cash, you know, before the, the Watergate era changes to the election law with, with a jar full of money and coins in an amount like maybe $150 to make a donation to that guy's campaign on behalf of, quote, young socialists for America or so young American socialists or something. And, and he asked for a receipt and he was given one. And of course, they let let it get out in the press, and 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 you know th that guy's campaign was cooked to begin with. But you know that wouldn't even raise an eyebrow these yeah, days. It, it didn't help him, but that was a dirty trick then. And of course, that's more humorous, I think, than than anything. But this was not humorous. This was awful. I, I wish that some indictments had happened in a more timely fashion. So, so, such that could have, you know, perhaps made a difference in in the last November's election, uh, because I think um, I think it was used as a as a as a 
as a weapon against the Trump campaign by, you know, no one's been charged, no one's, and, and the, the stain of the accusation for a lot of people was still there on, on, the pres- on President Trump. Well, you know, typically I think of dirty tricks as dirty laundry and they go and do opposition research and maybe mm-hmm. they don't release certain things until right before an election. That's right. Uh, you know, in this case, according to the indictment, these researchers knew pretty early on that there, there just weren't dots that they could connect to build this story. It was just being made up. One of them is quoted as saying, the only thing that drives us at this point is that we just do not like Trump. Yeah. So the story is just made out of a whole cloth. And then it's it's given to the media, it's pushed through the media, it's given to the FBI to try to start these investigations. But then it takes a life of its own after the election with people in Congress, such as Maxine Waters, who start to argue about collusion and impeachment basically from the day after the election was held in 2016. Speaking of damn fool idiots, Maxine Waters, you see her statement yesterday about the situation with the horses and the alleged whipping at the border? I did, yeah. Where she said it was worse than anything that happened in slavery. Right. I mean... <laughs> that's just idiotic. Yeah, I mean, that's just... I mean, she, gosh. And did you see sort of semi-shifting gears from the Russia hoax and, and the, the, the conspiracy to, to, to frame the president? Did you, did you hear there's a book coming out by a reporter in which he finds and shows evidence that a portion, at least, of the Hunter Biden laptop emails situation, that, that those are factually based and they're true. And, the, and it, maybe some things got slipped in there, but the uh, the crux of it is those are legitimate emails. And, of course, we have uh, the story from last fall where 50 former intelligence community senior folks said it was all Russian disinformation and it was hushed up by the mainstream media, and to the extent they talked about it, they said it was BS and made up. Um, NPR refused and said, you know, we're not going to waste our reader and our listeners, readers and listeners' time with a story that, that's not a story. Um, and yet, Twitter n- removed the New York Post. That's right. The nation's uh, second oldest newspaper, I believe. Started by Alexander Hamilton. Yeah, it took them off of Twitter because they were reporting this story. And now it turns out it's true. And uh, half the country doesn't care. And that's what concerns me, as we've talked before, is I worry, what do the two sides have in common anymore, Ed? Well, let, hold that, and we'll come to that in just a second, because I don't want to ignore what I think was a big so what in that story, which is that there was... Within some of these emails, which we now have verification that at least some of them are accurate, so we have no reason to question the others. But there were allegations that Hunter was holding money for Joe Biden. It it pointed to direct corruption by the now president of the United States. And money from the Chinese military to Hunter and remember, that's where we got 10% for the big guy. That's right. That's where that came from. And you're right. The president of the United States was bought and paid for by the Chinese government, the Chinese military. Nobody cares. But here's the other part of it, which I think will come back at some point. I don't think the Democrats are loyal to Joe Biden. I think he's being used. He's a tool because they want to hold political power. And when he is no longer useful and... 
that usefulness could die because of mental capacity, or it could be because more emails come out or people start paying attention to him. When he's no longer useful, they won't keep him around. No, they'll 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 shuck him like like yesterday's corn. I think you're exactly right, and I think that we are seeing the beginning of the end of the Biden presidency because it seems that um, the media and 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 the American people have turned on Biden in part, in large part, because of Afghanistan and the crisis at the border. And when folks figure out that inflation is as bad as it seems to be, and it gets worse, uh, then they may decide that they're better off without uh, Uncle Joe and kick him to the curb, either, as you said, through um, for medical purposes or just leaking the the emails um, uh, or whatever. And then we have President Harris, uh, and I'm not sure who she would pick as her vice president, um, but I'm sure it'll be some wonderfully talented socialist. Uh, subject to Senate confirmation. Subject to course. Senate confirmation. And, of course, if they don't do that quickly, they may be faced with a Republican Senate uh, that wouldn't confirm. In fact, I, I want to say that when you pick a vice president, he has to be or she has to be confirmed by both houses. Is that not right? Did I not dream uh, that the House, when, when Ford was... When Ford was appointed, did the House not have to okay that, too? I thought it was only the Senate, but I can't swear to that. I may be wrong, and my copy of the Constitution is in No, you are correct. It is um, the 25th Amendment. Whenever there is a vacancy in the office of the vice president, the president shall nominate a vice president who shall take office upon confirmation by a majority vote of both houses of Congress. Very good. So, you know, if they don't do that quickly before January, whatever, 3rd, 2nd, 4th, 6th uh, of 2023, she might not get a vice president, or at least her first choice. Well, so they, only have, they only have half the votes in the Senate now because they wouldn't have a, uh, they wouldn't have a right. vice presidential tiebreaker. That's right. Now, I'm sure that Mitt Romney or, or, or some of that ilk would probably want to... Uh, seem uh, bipartisan and and uh, would uh, want to vote uh, for her choice. I, I did see a story after the election in California where Newsom uh, was retained, uh, someone speculating that she would run in 2024 with him, except that the Constitution prohibits that unless one of the two of them was, was to claim uh, residence in another state. So I don't think it'd be him. But she could claim residence in D.C. now or somewhere like yeah, that. But yeah. you know, I, I don't, I don't understand a, picking someone from California. I didn't think it made sense when Biden picked her for a number of reasons, but particularly because she's from California, that state's going to go Democrat. Yeah, and she, she said she believed the the female that had accused Biden of, for all intents and purposes, raping her in the debates during the primaries. Uh, Harris said she believed the woman, um, and uh, Kamala Harris has yet to get a delegate. Uh, in a presidential primary, even as we sit here today, none. But as she later said, "Hey, it's just a debate." That's right. It's just a debate. Say, Say what you, you want, want to. Yeah. No rule eleven in debates, right? But before I cut you off, you were talking about what do the states have in common? What do the yeah. people have in common? I don't know. It, it it's concerning. It really is. Well, Lee, what's on your radar for the next week? Well, I think keeping an eye on 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 the things we talked about uh, is is certainly important. I think that uh, we didn't get a chance to speak too much about this, but I, I found the, uh, the interview 
or lack thereof, I guess is the better way to say it, uh, that the press tried to uh, have with President Biden uh, during the photo op at his his meeting with Boris Johnson yesterday in the White House speaks volumes about the situation within the White House with respect to how it's being operated and managed um, and the the rudeness with which uh, the female staffer interrupted uh, the the prime minister when he was answering questions to say that the president was not going to answer any questions and the the folks uh, from the news media needed to leave. I think we need to keep some of that in mind. I also note that during that meeting, twice uh, the prime minister asked the president, did he, in in so many words, can we get a, a free trade agreement or a trade agreement between the United Kingdom and the United States now that, that Brexit is is happening because the, the trade agreements as they exist are between us and the EU, not just the British. And twice the president ignored him. Um, and, and I think that is problematic um, from a diplomatic point of view in the sense that, that England is, is uh, the mother country, so to speak, and, um, and, and we have a strong relationship uh, diplomatically and politically and militarily, but but also economically. And and you know, London is the financial center of the world, uh, and and many of our financial institutions are, are are interconnected with with those in London. And you know, that kind of thing needs to happen. I think the British are our number one trading partner, if not their top five. Uh, and so we need some sort of trade deal with them. Um, and it doesn't seem to happen uh, or be happening. I, I, I think that needs some more play, and I want to keep an eye on that. Well, that's an interesting story. That got no attention. At the yeah. news. To the extent anything got attention, it was what happened during their little uh, one-on-one photo op in the, uh, I don't know if it was the Oval Office, but where apparently there weren't going to be questions. Boris Johnson said, can we take a question or two? And the president says, good luck. And then while Johnson's still talking, some aide just starts yelling at the reporters to get out. Yeah. I, I want to keep an eye on that. Uh, the the situation with the French removing their ambassador, although Biden and Macron talked, uh, I think, earlier today, maybe yesterday afternoon, and apparently the French are going to, going to send the ambassador back, which kind of brings us back to Biden's boring flat speech that he made to the U.N. General Assembly yesterday that I heard uh, a couple of reporters say, and I think they were right on point, it almost seemed as if it were written several months ago, and they didn't make any modifications to it with regard to Afghanistan, and they talked about diplomacy and relentless diplomacy, and we were going to work with our allies and all that, and, you know, that, that, and I, I feel like it probably was. I don't think it was. But that has got to be offensive to the British and the French and and, 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 and our other allies who f- very much feel, and I think they're correct in so feeling, that we abandoned them in, in Afghanistan and, and, and just sort of said, we're leaving. Uh, good luck to you. Um, and so I, I want to keep an eye on how that's going to play out because I I just feel like the whole foreign policy apparatus of the Biden administration is completely in over their heads in a way that, you know, I don't think even the, the most partisan Republican would would expect. Uh, you know, I think we, we could all say, well, you know, that's not the way we do it or, 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 or not how we'd want it handled. But 
those would be more uh, disagreements as to policy, but this is just rank incompetence. You know, and it is, and it's from a group that made so much of the chaos in the Trump administration, and, and stories were put out that something like the adults are back in charge. These adults all seem to be totally incompetent on one issue after another. Exactly. Like, uh, however Europe might have felt when they were having to deal with Trump and he wanted them, uh, our NATO allies, to pay more, they have felt even worse under Biden. Yeah. And even Democrats are, you know, starting to talk about the foreign policy at, at failure. So so that's that's kind of what's on my radar for, for, for this coming week. And, and who knows uh, what what the future holds that we probably will, haven't even thought about happening and we don't need to talk about. What about you? What's on your radar? Well, of course, immigration continues to be an issue. But a couple of stories that kind of caught my attention is that the uh, the Arizona election audit is supposed to release results on the 24th, which is Friday of this week. Uh, I've been kind of skeptical that anything really major is going to come out of it. But it's going to be interesting to see if it comes to some closure mm-hmm. and what it says. Uh, the other story has to do with this kind of in-house fighting among the Democrats in the House of Representatives, and supposedly they have scheduled the bipartisan infrastructure bill. That's the $1.2 trillion bill. They've scheduled that to go for a vote in the House on the 27th, which, which is Monday, be, I guess, Monday of next week. Progressives are saying that uh, they're not going to vote for it uh, because they want the whole shebang with the other, you know, they say three and a half trillion is more like five point two trillion, according to some sources. They want all of it, and so there's this big fight between the moderates and the uh, the ultra liberals. I don't even like to call them progressives. Biden has apparently interceded. Pelosi's tried to do something. So it's going to be interesting to see how that fight plays out next week, if it does. Both from a legislative nuts and bolts standpoint, and also from a policy standpoint. And did you see the the fight today? With regard to, I don't know if it was the, I guess it's the continuing resolution with regard to the budget or where the progressive Democrats complained that there was a billion dollars in the in the uh, um, the bill to continue to provide uh, the Iron Dome defense network to the Israelis and they had to take it out. There was a threat by the Israeli government to withdraw their ambassador withdraw its ambassador in the event that uh, remained out of the bill. And I heard Steny Hoyer late this afternoon announced that um, they weren't going to put it back in the bill, but there was going to be a standalone bill uh, to, um, to, to, to remedy the situation. They got a mess on their hands with regard to spending money. That whole thing uh, on the, the debt limit, um, it seems as though, uh, Mitch McConnell has uh, his troops marching in lockstep, and they are bound and determined in the event, I think it's in the event that, the, that any of the infrastructure bills pass, either one of them, um, then they're not going to vote to raise the, the debt limit. Is that, am I correct, or are there other conditions? Or there are there no conditions? We're just not going to vote to do it. The, that's what I've heard. That okay. They're simply not going to vote to support any debt limit increases because all of this is, uh, all this spending is on the Democrats. Now, my prediction is that if that happens, that the media will very quickly come back to the Democrat camp because they'll start blaming any government shutdown on the Republicans. Yeah, that's what I fear. But I, I did hear, and I don't know who said this this afternoon, 
whoever the the pundit was was saying that uh, he or she believed that the Democrats would do it on their own because at least the progressive wing um, believes, and I, it seems kind of contra- counterintuitive to me, but they believe that if they don't pass both parts of the infrastructure plan, that both bills, that they're going to take a bath at the 2022 midterm elections. It seems to me they're going to take a bath if they pass it. Um, but anyway, that's what they feel. And as a result of that, and you know, as you as you mentioned, there was a meeting with Pelosi this afternoon, and they announced when they came out that they were still um, going to hold Pelosi to her agreement to pass both separately, that um, the Democrats would, would do what they needed to do to pass it on a partisan basis so that they could prevent a shutdown. So uh, who knows? But every time there's a shutdown, it does get blamed on the Republicans by the news media. We can just say, stay tuned. Absolutely. Thanks for tuning in for another episode of the Let's Think About That podcast. You can contact us at comments at letsthinkpodcast.com. If you've enjoyed this episode, please click subscribe on your podcast provider and leave us a review.